last week I said that the passage we had in the Bible, that it could cause us some grief or that it seemed a little confusing. Well, this week's reading is one that might cause us some discomfort. We look at the poor man and we can identify with him as someone that we might have seen down the street or elsewhere. The story is one that can make us feel really uncomfortable. And yes, while I think that looking after the poor and the sick and the needy is very important, I'm not sure that that's the point of Jesus' parable. If you read this passage with only that thinking in mind, then maybe, maybe the poor are better off being poor. After all, they'll go to heaven. Jesus' story about the rich man and Lazarus works on many levels. But there is something different about this parable. As I said in the kids' talk, I want you to notice this. This is the only parable where one of the characters is actually given a name. Now, it isn't because it is based on a real story, as some may wonder. Rather, it is to show that there is more to this man than his poverty. You see, a name is important because it indicates relationship. You only need a name if you're known to someone. A name distinguishes you as an individual. Now, that doesn't mean the rich man didn't have a name, but as far as the story is concerned, he might not as well had one. On the other hand, the poor man's name is significant because of its meaning. His name, in fact, tells us who he was known by, Lazarus. And that means he whom God helps. Jesus gives him this name to indicate that Lazarus is one who waits on God's help. He doesn't blame God about his situation. He doesn't plot revenge. He simply waits for vindication of the Lord. He knows that as bad as his plight might be in this world, there is life to come that will make this life fade in insignificance. Here then is a story of two contrasts. Two men who are totally unequal. One with incredible wealth, yet without identity. The other poor, beyond bearing. And yet known personally by God. In the story, there are two other types of inequality. Material and spiritual. Jesus wants us to consider which is more important? It is, a similar, it is similar to a well-known folk tale that was around the time in the ancient world. Jesus wasn't the first person to tell a tale where the fortunes of the wealthy and the poor would be reserved, reversed in a future life. 
In fact, they were so well known that Jesus uses this to his advantage when he makes a sudden change that would have caught the listeners off guard. In the usual story, when someone asks for a messenger to go back to the people still alive, permission is granted. Here it isn't. And because of that, it raises all sorts of questions. Okay, remember, it is not a moral tale about riches and poverty. Remember, it is a parable. So we need to look at the picture language to see what else is going on. Well, it's often there's a case the ending gives us the best clue. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced if, even if someone rises from the dead. It picks up another theme earlier in Luke, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, in the story of the prodigal son. This is your brother who is dead and is alive again. The older brother in the story was very much like the rich man in this story. Both had the same intent to keep the poor, ragged brother or neighbour out of sight and out of mind. Jesus, as we have heard time and time again, was always criticised for welcoming the outcast and the sinner. Now, now he seems to be saying is that he's doing, what he's doing is putting into practice in the present world what will happen in the future world. Remember, one of Jesus' catch cries was on earth as it is in heaven. This parable is not addressed to the unbeliever. If that were the case, it would be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? A message of despair rather than warning. Instead, it's addressed to believers. In the first instance, of course, it is addressed to the Pharisees. But equally, it's addressed to us who, came, who claim to believe in God's word. It's meant as a warning to make sure that our lives measure up to God's word. That the way we act to others needs to match the way God feels about them. That we don't let the busyness or the success of our lives hide the reality of the world we live in or the truth about our own spiritual life. Now, again, I want to repeat that we have to be careful when we read this parable. It is all too easy to read a parable like this and feel despair because we just don't measure up. But I think that's going too far. You see, the revelation of God has gone beyond Moses and the prophets. We now know more about how to please God. We know more than just the Old Testament. Not that the care for the needy is any less important to God, but he's shown us through Jesus 
how we can truly please him in the first instance. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6. They said to him, what must we do to perform God's work? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The primary response asked of us by God is that we believe in Jesus Christ. That is, that we believe that he is the intended, indeed the Son of God, that he came in humility to bring us to God. The failure of the rich man was that he failed to hear the word of God. Our failure or success will depend on the same thing. Do we hear the word of God? Not just as it relates to our riches or poverty, but as it relates to Jesus Christ and his place in our lives. Of course, a right use of our wealth should flow naturally from faith in Jesus. But that's secondary. There's both a warning and a promise in this strange tale of two men. There is a warning that to ignore God will have eternal consequences on us. But there's also the promise that those who know and are known by God, who will look at him for help, will enjoy, will enjoy his presence for eternity. Why? Well, because Jesus himself came as a type of Lazarus, as one who had nothing to rely on but the help that God gave him. Because Jesus hung on a cross to take away the suffering that humanity deserved. To open the gateway to heaven for all who turned to him for help. Because he who is rich for our sake became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich because Jesus now waits for us at the right hand of the Father and on the day of our death will take us to sit with him and Abraham and all who are called God as Father. How can you know for assurance of that, of that promise? Not as some might think by making sure that we care for the poor. Again, I want to say it's still important. But that's not actually the point of this parable. Rather, by first believing and then obeying the word of God. By believing in Jesus as God, as God's instrument of our salvation. As you believe, seeing how God gives his spirit to live within you, to enable you to then care for the poor. I want to leave you with this, this uh, quote from Paul in Galatians. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. For the life I now live in the flesh, 
I'll live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen.